This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. games, 10 goals and a couple of new arrivals. It's been a busy week for Saints news and results. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. My name is Martin Stark and each week I'm joined by our panel to reflect on all things Southampton Football Club. Coming up this week, reaction to the Newcastle United game, our thoughts on transfer deadline day, we'll look back at the Carabao Cup win against Newport and we tackle some of your questions. Once again, a big welcome to our resident Saints panel, owner of Saints Web, Steve Grant. How was your trip to Newport this week, Steve? Um, yeah, it was okay. Getting there was absolutely fine. Getting back was an absolute nightmare with, I think, four separate closures on the M4 with horrendous diversions that take you out into the middle of nowhere. So I think I got I think I got back to Croydon at about half past one in the end. The motorways haven't been your friend this season, have they? Not hugely, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the... that's. That's been a that's been an issue, but um, yeah, hopefully I can start using the train a little bit more frequently. But obviously Newport, there were no trains back to London or to Southampton after the game, so that that wasn't an option. I couldn't justify having another midweek midweek stopover in Wales. But it was a good game, and we'll get onto that a bit later. Uh, also joining us is writer of the blog League One minus ten, Glenn Delacour. How's your week been, Glenn? Yeah, it's been all right. It's been all right. I managed to uh, nick a couple of days off work as well, so that was good. So I only had a three-day week, so that so that was nice. Um, haven't done anything particularly exciting, but uh, but yeah, obviously kept track of the Newport game as best I could, and um, yeah, and uh, managed to watch the game yesterday. So that was uh, decent overall. And the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter Dan Sheldon is here. Are you pleased that the longest away journey of the season is now out of the way, Dan? Well, I, I would have been until I mean I, I knew this beforehand. They were drawn against Sheffield United in the uh, Carabao Cup. So, I mean, you kind of take one long away game out and put another one in. So, yeah. But, I mean, it was good to get the furthest one away for sure. And are the um, other media and the press as high up in the stands as the visiting fans are at St. No, James's Park? No, we're not. We're kind of just behind the dugouts at St. James's Park. So, a, a much better view then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I could just about work out the Saints fans from where I was sat. So <laughs> With binoculars. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think that if, look, from a, 
tactical perspective, if you're kind of interested in the patterns of play and how how things move move around on the pitch, I actually think the away end at Newcastle was brilliant for that because you are so far away. It is basically like watching um, the 2D um, mode on Football Manager. If only they had their names and numbers above their heads. Yes. So could put them out. Uh, I must say, as always, a big hello and a big thank you to all our patrons who are listening around the world. Welcome to episode 166 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Let's start with the weekend's game. A point away at Newcastle isn't a bad result, given that we haven't won there since, I think, January 2015. But we're probably all going to agree that it should have been more. Happy with the point, Steve? I think you always take a point when you when you go a goal down in injury time. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the balance of play, the number of chances we created and subsequently missed. Um, I looked on um, understat earlier. And um, our XG for, for yesterday was was 3.54. Um, now, bear in mind that last last season, our highest XG recorded for any game was 2.4. Remind so, me what an XG is for anybody so that, that's not so familiar that, with that. So that is expected goals. So that's a stat that's based on the quality of chance created. So the position sort of from goal, where the shot's taken, whether it's on the player's stronger foot, how many defenders are blocking, this sort of thing. You could argue that anything involving Gineppo is not a good chance. That's what I was just about to say. (laughs) We'll get to that in just a minute. I was going to ask Steve, can you remember who scored last time we won at Newcastle? Uh, It was Elgero Elia. It was? Um, Yeah, the Dutch Dutch winger we had on loan um, for half a season, who basically scored two goals that night and did nothing else for us, really. And we all thought he was going to be amazing. Yeah, well, he looked good that night, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, So Walker-Peters and Livramento both started, um, which is kind of what we wanted to see, but maybe not in those positions, Dan. Was it a surprise when you got the team sheet through? Um, Not necessarily a surprise, I don't think. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I wasn't at Newport because we couldn't get accreditation. I think the Daily Echo were in the same boat as we were, but... Kyle obviously played really well against Newport uh, from what I've read and what I've, what I've seen of clips. So, and as we've said for the kind of last two and a bit weeks, you have to find a way to get him in the team. That's Ralph's job is to you know get, get his best players in the team and work out how to do it. And yeah, I, I can't say I was too surprised to see him playing. And at the same time, you're not going to drop Tino. And if he's not going to play Tino as a 10, Kyle's good enough and versatile enough to be able to go on the left. And if that's how Ralph is going to make it fit, then that's how... He's going to have to do it. Although I'd still quite like to see Tino as a 10, Kyle on the right and Perot in the team. But it's, I mean, I'm just happy for now that Kyle's back in the team because I think he had so much defensively and going forward. And Elianusi's first Premier League start since May 2019. He's turning out to be what could be a nice option there, Glenn. Yeah. I mean, I, I hold my hand up here. I don't think I'm, I was alone. I, in his first spell at the club, I honestly thought that this guy's got absolutely nothing. You know, he, he didn't seem to have any any pace, any tricks, any fitness even. He just didn't seem to have anything about him at all. And all those things that were missing, both in the game against Newport and, and in the game against Newcastle, he, he showed all those things in abundance, as well as having an eye for goal, which is, you know, we were moaning the first couple of weeks about our, our wide players not really 
sort of coming to the party and either creating chances or looking a goal threat. And he, he's done all that. And, you know, I mean, we can talk about it a bit more length about the, the fact that we've got a bigger squad now. So players like him and like Nathan Redmond, who also did very well yesterday, they know that if they bring their previous level to the table, they're not going to be in the team. They have to do better than, you know, well, Elianusi had to do better than he did in 2019 and, and Redmond has to do better than he did last season. And, and both of them, so, you know, in the last sort of couple of games have, have shown a level which will, will keep them in the side. And that's uh, that's got to be a welcome thing. And that, that's all down to the competition for places that we've got now. I know you've been stewing on this um, for the last 12 hours or so, Glenn. Um, Ginepo, <laughs> he's got to take those chances, right? Man, oh man, how can you miss How can you miss that first one? That, that's unbelievable. Um, so he takes the first one first time and spoons it over the bar. And the second one, which he needed to take first time, he, he went into full spamming the buttons on a PlayStation mode and trying to do seven <laughs> step overs and, you know, pirouettes and whatnot before he, before he sticks it in the net. He is such a frustrating player because you know there's a player in there. But, you know, you can't, you can't miss chances like that and be soft in defence like we are and expect to win games. And, you know, you asked Steve the question, was it a good point? Yes, it, it was a good point. But overall, we've got to be winning that. Yeah. We've got to be winning that. and But you miss chances like that, you're not going to win many games. Simple as that. Steve, that's another game that we would have lost last season, isn't it? For sure. Uh, it was a game we did lose last season. Um, <laughs> again Against nine men. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's there are obvious improvements that, that we can see kind of in certain areas. I mean, as as Glenn said, the the wide players coming in and and putting in a performance, giving the manager options for once. Whereas last season, you kind of had two players that would be in the team, and they'd be in the team regardless of how well they played. Um, now, where you've got competition, there is there is the option to just switch people out if they're if they're not showing up. And yeah, I mean, fair fair play to. Both Elianusi and Redmond have, have both come to the party this week. Um, I actually thought Gileppo played quite well yesterday, which is which is just frustrating that the end product is just not there at the moment. Um, well, and let's be honest, it hasn't been there for most of the most of his time with us. But yeah, I think going going forward, we actually look quite interesting. I think uh, defensively, we're still a train wreck, um, as I'm sure, as I think I said last week as well. But Newcastle only chose to attack us for like about 15 minutes of the game. I mean, their their strategy of basically parking everybody in the in their 18-yard box for the first 50 minutes was extraordinary. For a team that's not great defensively anyway and has good players that can that can hurt us and they know that we're terrible at the back and they chose they chose not to actually try and um, score goals against us. That was very, very strange. But then when they did, they, they kind of caught us off guard a little bit, I suppose. It did have that familiar feel to it about dominating the first half, not taking our chances, and then going behind or conceding early in the second half. That was uh, that was something that we're all quite familiar with at the moment. But it was nice to see Ralph using the bench again, Dan, because that's something that we've spoken about. I know you've written about it as well. Redmond coming on and actually making a bit of an impact. Yeah, and he used the bench early. He didn't sit and wait and let the game get away from him as he did against Everton. And the same way he brought players on early against United, he, he did the same at St. James's Park and realised that he had to do something to get his, his team back in the game, that momentum was with Newcastle. The crowd 
after going from we want Brucey out in the in the first half were you know supporting the team rather than than Bruce in the second half they're a bit more rowdy and yeah Ralph reacted to that Bought and Redmond who who played a brilliant pass through to to Armstrong right at the end but it is becoming more concerning that that it was another really good 45 minutes from Saints and they were brilliant. I mean, some of the, the link-up play going forward was just, especially from the angle we were watching it from, kind of level sort of with the pitch. It was just so quick and so good. And Newcastle just couldn't cope with it. But then you, you don't have anything for it at the end and then Newcastle come out and within 10 minutes or whatever it was, they're 1-0 up. And it's kind of like whatever said at half-time, like maybe everyone should just sit in silence or just stay out on the pitch. Because whatever <laughs> happens at half-time doesn't work. Because it, you know, it just seems to be that thing this season where half time, whether it's something they're drinking or they're eating, I, I generally don't know. But just stay out on the pitch next time. And just if I can add on on Jennifer, I I I understand the excitement, I, I do. But for me, he he's he's not any good. Like I, I I generally don't think he's good. And the problem Southampton have got is put another number ten in that in that situation, and I still wouldn't back them to score either. I know that sounds crazy because he was a yard out and. You'd like to think they all would, but they, all their wingers are the same. They're just, I mean, Theo Walcott, you know, great guy to have around the place, good player, great pro. His whole career has been defined by he's good up until, and that that's kind of summed up Theo's Theo's career. Nathan Redmond shows it against the weaker teams, you know, will, will tear Newport to pieces. And okay, he did well against Newcastle, but doesn't really have that end product. Teller's still young, don't think he can be fairly judged. And Jenepo, he's not he's not new anymore. He's been at Saints a little while. You know, he's he should be fully accustomed to the Premier League and you just can't miss those opportunities. Um I was he was the most surprised name for me on the team sheet. I I thought he was gonna be left out. But Ra- Ralph rates to work, he does defensively and I guess what, what he can do going forward from a kind of he has no idea what, what he's going to do, so neither does neither do the defenders. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. I kind of, and it sounds like I'm really digging Jennifer out, but I just think those are the fine, like those fine margins kind of define a season. And I know it's only the third game, but you can't afford to miss from that close within the space of kind of like five minutes. The only thing I would say, of course, people, when they defend him, it's it's his age, and he he is still quite young. I think we forget how how young he is. Do we we stick with him and and, and let him develop, or is it time to hook him out of the team and give him a rest? Well, I mean, how old is he? I, I, what is he? Twenty twenty two, I think. I mean, so when did he? I can't remember. He signed in twenty nineteen, didn't he? I think he's about twenty four. He's twenty three. I've just got it up. He's two, so he's twenty three. He cost near enough fifteen million quid. I or maybe it might have been slightly cheaper than that. Actually, I think. No, I think you the first season you kind of let him get away with it, but he sh- he should be doing better now. Is my kind of opinion on it that he should be doing better? Saints should be seeing some kind of return. I know it was fourteen fourteen million pound they signed him for. I just got that up as well. So for that kind of money, I know that's the, the ballpark Southampton operate in. You do expect something a bit better from an attacking player when they're kind of two yards out and hit that ball anywhere and it goes in, apart from he, he somehow he somehow managed to find, you know, Rosette at, at, at Newcastle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I sound like I'm digging him out. And I think it was a really good performance from Southampton in the main. Again, it's something about St. Maximan that just seems to lift his spirits when he plays Southampton. He must just eye a, a, a kind of timid defence because he just runs riot and I thought Callum Wilson was impressive as well and 
I think with those two, Newcastle are always going to have a chance of, of staying up. But yeah, from Southampton's point of view, I, I, I think it was a big opportunity missed in terms of they should they should have won that game. We should probably talk about the defending as well, um, Glenn, because that was dreadful defending, wasn't it? To get caught like that at the 90th minute. I, if you've got a left-back playing in the left-back position, do they stop that header? Do we bring about that by our own team selection in a way? It's interesting. We talked about the substitution of Redmond coming on for whoever it was he came on for. Jennifer. And that made it, yeah, and that made a difference. But the, the I couldn't really understand bringing on Diallo for Romeo at one-one. Um, I think we had the mindset that we were we should be winning this game and we were going to put on a slightly more attacking player. But if you look at the second goal, it's the 90th minute. We're one all. Diallo and I think it's Livramento build up down the left hand side. Diallo's cross gets intercepted. They just bang it forward. And it's two against two. Now, that is absurd in the 90th minute of a game. And from that came the carnage and they eventually scored. And, and, it, and it was just it was just ridiculous. And um, I'm going to call myself out on this one. I did an angry tweet about us losing the game because I yeah, just I thought, that, yeah, I know, hilarious. You've got to own it, haven't you? You've got to own it. And it, it's just like, you know, it's, it's just a ridiculous way of letting in a goal. Um, in the 90th minute of a game, especially with what had gone before, you know, with, a, with us dominating the game and missing chances and whatnot. So that was poor just from an organ. That was the, that's the whole team. You know, you, you shouldn't have eight players caught in front of the ball um, in the 90th minute of an away game when you're level. Um, the, the first goal was just was just sloppy. It's the old go to sleep in the middle. Everyone's marking space. No one's marking the players. And, you know, it's the, it's the same... It's the same sort of thing that we quite often do. We did it against Everton with Calvert-Lewin's goal and we, you know, we did it again um, with Callum Wilson's goal. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if um, Mr. Lianco stays off uh, social media long enough to um, get himself in the team and uh, maybe make a difference. It, but it does worry, does worry me that I'm seeing Mario Lamina-esque type Instagram profiles already. <laughs> Yeah, my um, my thought was that maybe it was because Ralph didn't have the waistcoat. You know, we talked about the waistcoat last week. Then he reverts back to the tracksuit, and and it's not so good. So I think we need to see the waistcoat back for West Ham. Um, heading into the international break, looks like thirteenth. Are we happy with that? Are you happy with thirteenth, Steve? After the three games? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we'd have liked we'd have liked a win from somewhere, but you looked at the fixture list, and these are three games that we, as a general rule, don't win. Um, so to have got two points out of them, it's not the worst in the world. I mean, we're if you compare like for like the same games last season, we lost all three. So yeah, we'll, we'll take take the two points, move on. And obviously we've got another game that we lost last time around uh, coming up. Oh, actually, no, it's West Ham at home, isn't it? So that was, a, that, was the, that was that was the worst nil-nil draw in the history of nil-nil draws, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was bad. But, yeah. but if you'd have said you'd be above Arsenal, Wolves, Leeds... You'd probably take that going into the international break. I mean, yeah. you you could be Arsenal. That's the thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's 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 almost always someone in a worse worse off state, isn't there? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. they have been hilariously bad. One thing I think we should touch on, though, just very quickly on the before we move on, if we are going to move on from the Newcastle draw, was I was really impressed with how that they responded after going two one yeah. down. I think last season. They that 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 kills them. Nothing happens, and the well, game, we lump it into the box, and they yeah, just happily head the game, it away. Don't the they? game fizzles out, but they didn't. And I was really really impressed by that. Actually, I saw Prousey on the floor. He punched the floor because I, I was looking. I, was, I wanted to see how how are they going to react? Like, what were they doing? Did they slump? But they didn't. Prousey punched the floor, immediately got back up, and was like, right, here we go. 
and they carried on playing. Whereas last season, I thought their mentality was so bad. If they went behind it, you just knew the game was over. But yeah, they, they do deserve a lot of credit for continuing to try and search for an equaliser late on when it would have been easy for them to kind of give up. And I think Prowse also deserves credit for finishing the penalty, although it was close. It was a, a good finish nonetheless. And I, I, I enjoyed his celebration uh, right in front of the Newcastle fans as well. I particularly enjoyed the um, the crying child. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was good. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how much money's in the GoFundMe account. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'd have taken that penalty. And it was interesting that Ralph said he hasn't actually watched it yet. So I think he was uh, he was all of us um, when Prowse was stepping up for that. So all in all, it sounds quite positive heading into the, the international break then. So plenty to look forward to. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast. Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Now, transfer deadline day is on Tuesday. The window closes, sorry, the window slams shut at 11 o'clock. We now know that we've missed out on uh, Messi and it looks like we'll miss out on Ronaldo as well. But there have been a couple of additions. Obviously, uh, Lianco has linked up with the team this week. And as uh, you mentioned, Glenn, we've had all the classic posting pictures of Ocean Village on his Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's good business for the Harbour Hotel when we sign a new player. Um, but also this week, the uh, the sought-after teenager Thierry Small has completed his move to St Mary's from Everton. Now, this is the 17-year-old left-back who signed a three-year contract with the club. We know that he's a product of the Everton Academy and he's going to be or is considered one of the most promising young fullbacks in the country. Uh, he's also spent a bit of time as a central defender and a left winger, which I think will be quite handy. And Dan, you wrote a piece about um, some of the, the younger signings and why they're choosing Southampton this week, which was a really interesting read on The Athletic. Do you just want to tell us about the headlines around that? Yes, yeah, so it was just earlier this year. I was led to believe there was a, a kind of a senior leadership meeting. And obviously Southampton know as a club they're not going to be able to financially compete with with some of their closest rivals so it's okay well how do we try and be smart what 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 should we what should we be looking at where perhaps other clubs aren't looking at so aggressively and I think you kind of have by coincidence more than anything Matt Crocker and his wealth of knowledge of kind of English players from being at the FA and in charge of the development teams there he's got an incredible knowledge and then Martin Glover head of scouting and recruitment that's got uh, an incredible contacts book by by all means and knows most most of the clubs inside out and especially Everton where they got him from. So he already knew Thierry Small, would have already had a relationship. And just going back to that meeting, it was decided, well, why don't we kind of market us? Like, look what look at all the players going to Germany. And it was kind of like, well, why don't we market ourselves as as that? Well, don't go there. Come here instead and you'll play in the Premier League. And it saves you A moving moving abroad as a youngster and whatever, whatever, whatever. And yeah, that, that that led to them going after Livramento, small, and I don't think it's going to stop. I think that's going to be something that, that we see continuing. And it, it's a it's a smart strategy. It's a smart strategy if they win. In, like Kind of staying up this year is really, really important. Um, and I think based on the first three games, I think we've probably seen enough to think that well, there are definitely going to be three worse teams than Southampton. And they actually look you know, when they do play well, they look very good, Southampton. So I think they're going to be fine. And then it's, you you get that year, they have that year experience and then, right, you really kick on the following year. And I know people on Twitter are like, oh yeah, but we're only going to sell them, we're only going to, but that's like, that's besides the point. It's kind of, that's what Southampton do. I mean, if they sell Livramento back to Chelsea, they're going to make a fortune. 
and then you go and buy either another really young one or go and get a ready-made one it's that that to me is kind of a bit of a kind of old argument now but no I, I I quite like the way they've recruited I think it it makes sense to go after the best youngsters and look at Livermento how many teams reckon are looking at him now thinking oh why weren't we aware of that one or why couldn't we have done more to get him I know of one 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 big club that were already asking Southampton how they managed to do that deal so yeah it's yeah clubs have clubs have certainly started taking notice of what Southampton are doing and they've, they've done it very well this summer and Steve, do you think it's about just accepting the process? And do you think we are accepting that a bit more now as fans? We know that we've signed someone like Lianco and we're accepted, we're expecting them to be sold on for 40, 50, 60 million. I wouldn't have used him as the example. In a few years time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being really positive about him. Um, I'm, I, I think that's an absolute bargain. But are we more accepting of that now? And, and, and we're, we're, we're waiting for these players to move on in a couple of years. And we, we trust the process. And we know that there are going to be some exciting new youngsters. We're not talking about Ryan Bertrand anymore, are we? Um, because of the people we brought in. So it, 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 it seems like we're a bit more accepting of that. Um, I think... Certainly, the club is more accepting of it. They've obviously come come up with this this strategy, and they've gone sort of full pelters behind it this summer. In terms of the fan base, I think there's there's still an element of the fan base that seems to have this idea that we should be genuinely competing with clubs who are throwing silly money around. But I mean, I don't think that's especially realistic. But unfortunately, that is there there is a proportion of the fan base that does genuinely believe that. I think most of us are realistic enough to know vaguely our position in the food chain and that as a result kind of limits limits where you can realistically go. I think ultimately any team that that kind of punches above its weight for a, for a period of time as we did for probably a good three or three, four, five years, maybe. Ultimately, there comes a time where the bigger clubs look at you and think, "Well, what, how are they doing this?" And let's just let's let's take some of their expertise um, and talent from them because we can we can pay them double the money and and hopefully their their performances in a in a more talented squad will still be good and maybe we can even make make them even better. Um, but that's that's kind of is that, as a, is that Cedric at Arsenal you're talking about? Oh, that's 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 gone swimmingly, isn't it? I mean, he he, he had a he had a stormer on Saturday. Uh, that was another one of your tweets that I liked from yesterday. There was uh, there was you and Piers Morgan between you. It was um, it was quite an interesting Saturday afternoon on Twitter. Oh, I love Arsenal. That's that's that's, that's not an argument you want to be on the same side of, is it? <laughs> but just going back to the recruitment thing, because obviously where I've written about it this week, I. I kind of feel quite passionate about it just this week. And I think look, the people, I'm sure the guys at Southampton would love to be able to go and spend 30. All the, it, it all just stems from ownership. If Southampton had an owner who was investing, yes, of course, they'd be going up while still going after some of the, the talented kids because that, that kind of is the Southampton way or whatever they call it. It's They would be going and signing, you know, 25, 30 million pound players, but they can't. So what do you do? You have to make the best out of that. And what's that saying about when you get given a lemon, you make lemonade or something. And that's what they're trying to do. I don't think it's so much trusting the process. I think you have to trust the people. You know, the process, it's not a new process to Southampton. Pretty much every club outside the, the kind of top, top teams in, in Europe and, and in the Premier League, they are their feeder clubs. That That's just where they are in the pecking, the pecking order. You know, Leicester would be seen as the next best club. They sold their defender to Man United. So it's it's kind of just everyone in the Premier League has has their place in the pecking order and you trust the people rather than the process. I think if 
Matt Crocker continu continues to you know impart his knowledge if Martin Glover can still you know, get his team spotting the youngsters and if you've got Martin Simmons if, if he can complete the deals then that that's what you should be looking at rather than the process I think it's the people that are leading the process that should be given more of the spotlight into whether it's successful or not I think they have to be given a lot of credit as well because this this has kind of ticked all the boxes. You know, the ones you've talked about there about, you know, recruiting players and then improving them and selling them on maybe later on. But also it's solved the short-term problem. If you remember last year, our problem wasn't the first 11. No, it was yeah. what was behind the first 11. Exactly. Now, you yeah. talk about Thierry Small. Last year, we had Ryan Bertrand. And when he got injured or was was out of form, we were we were crowbarring some other player who'd never played James at left Ward back Prowse, before. Probably. Yeah, we, we yeah. had r ridiculous. We had no options. So we've got this Thierry Small guy. He's he's kind of, I mean, in your piece, I thought it was an interesting bit about the, you know, it's it's almost like admitting the failures of the academy. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that to a point. We didn't have a backup left back last year because, you know, the one we had, Jake Vokins, was deemed to be not good enough, so he was put out on loan. We've got a guy now, Thierry Smart, who I assume if Walker Peters or Perot, if they were both injured, Thierry Small could play. I know he's only 17, but, you know, you 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 know, the, the limited sort of footage I've seen of him, he looks light years of what we had ahead of what we had as a backup last season. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think one of the, the arguments I've kind of seen is, oh, well, we're replacing them with kids. I don't think you can have it both ways. I don't think you can go from complaining that we haven't got enough players to, oh, well, we have got enough players now, but they're not, you know, they're kids, they're teenagers. I I, I personally don't think you can have it. You know, if, if Southampton could go out and sign two left-backs for 15 million quid each, of course they do it, but they can't. So that's why they go and get Thierry Small. Yeah. And the fact that hopefully he's going to turn out to be a very good player. But I think if we're talking about the recruitment in general, I actually think, you know, speaking to agents and people at different clubs and and all of that it's been such a, a kind of weird market this summer where all the teams in Europe I mean apart from Real Madrid who have just magicked up some money from from nowhere to try and sign Mbappe haven't got much money and look at there are so many teams in the Premier League that I hear about that are trying to sell players trying to off, like get rid of the dead wood that can't do it but Southampton have actually managed to do that this summer which because of all the signings they're be they're making is actually being forgotten about. You know, look at the, some of the players that have left now. Oh, absolutely. And you yeah. think, God, how much, how good is it that they're out the door? They're not having to pay their wages for this season. They they're gone and they're gone on permanent deals. I think because it kind of happened early on, that for me is almost one of the highlights. Is that well, actually, somehow they've managed to get rid of these players and find buyers. That that in itself is quite impressive. So, would you say it's been a good window, all in all, Glenn? Um, yeah, I mean, I've just I've just written a bit actually for the for the BBC website, which, which looked at the transfer window as a whole. And you know, it's not until you write all the names down and and the names of the departed. You know, we've shifted out some big earners, as Dan said. We've also shifted out some players who have come through the academy, but they're never going to be good enough to play in the Premier League. And and it's important to move those players on as well. A to give them, you know, more regular football at, at a lower level, and B, so they don't block the pathway through of some of the 17, 18-year-olds who may at some point be good enough. So we've done some really good work in, in players leaving, as, um, as Dan said. And, and so far, the, you know, the, the players that have come in, I like the strategy. Obviously, you know, Livermento looks top class. And Thierry Small, we, we, we hope he turns out to be the same. So overall, I'm pretty happy with it. I would have, I would have preferred... You know the central defender is is, is a key one. See how see how he works out. I think when 
when we kind of thought that Vest, you know, we knew that Vestigar was going to be leaving, I was looking at the sort of the Joachim Anderson who's gone to Crystal Palace. I thought he would have been an ideal replacement, but that was 18, 19 million quid. Yeah. So we've gone for a, you know, a cheaper option there. And we've just got to, as you know, tr- trust the people, trust the scouting, and um, and hopefully Lianco works out to be what we need. But uh, but that that one's a bit a bit unknown. But overall, um, I, I think the transfer window's gone very well. Well, here's what manager Ralph Harsenhutl had to say. Mm, not hundred percent finished. Uh, we'll have a look if there's such an interesting opportunity popping up. Then maybe we 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 do again. Uh, but I think uh, the transfer window so far was. Uh, a successful one for us, I must say, and um, yeah, it was needed definitely. And yes, uh, we changed the team a little bit, and uh, quite enjoy working with the team so far. Now, the only position where we don't have uh, that many opportunities is is the six. So we have with Ori Prausi and Ibra three players there for two positions. Every other position is doubled. We have a few players that can also play the six, but but when we when we would do something, then maybe on this position again. Anything else you think we need, Steve? What would make it perfect for you? Um, no, I think that's that's probably about it. To be honest, I think we've we've covered a lot of bases. We've now got a lot of variety up front, creative options if they're if they're on form, which we've seen, which we obviously saw yesterday. Some of the some of the previously fringe players have have kind of stuck their hand up and said, "Yeah, I I actually fancy a bit of this now." Other than that, I th- I, don't, I don't think yeah you know, I don't think don't think there's a position where we're where we're necessarily lacking now. As Glenn said, we wait and see what happens with. Uh, Lianco to see whether whether he's not just an Instagram sensation, but actually a half decent central defender. But yeah, other than other than that, I think we're reasonably well covered. Um, certainly, we've had, we've probably had a better window than than a lot of the sides we're we're likely to be competing with this season. And just as an aside, um, Dan, as a football journalist, what does transfer deadline day look like for you? Are you checking Twitter every couple of minutes? Are you on your laptop until eleven o'clock? Are you by the phone you can't go anywhere no yeah i mean it's yeah i i yeah i mean i, I don't tend to get my sort of southampton news from from twitter i you try and find it out yourself so you're always just talking to contacts making phone calls sending messages trying to find out that you know people you know within the club or very closely connected to the club that have a good understanding of how they operate and who, who they're targeting you're, you're just kind of doing that all the time and i mean I, I think it's really interesting how what what they do because they're in a good place now where I kind of feel like anything else is a bonus. If you get an extra one in, it's a bonus. And I can't quite work out whether, well, would I like to see another number 10 come in? But then well, they've got so many of them, but then I just think they all do the same thing. So, and then I think, well, you know, because if they end up with Minamino, then I'd be, I wouldn't be happy with that. And look, I don't think they want <laughs> Minamino, but, and then you're thinking, well, central midfield, that's probably the only position where you haven't got two players for every because Ralph wants two players for every position and in central midfielders, you've only got three. But then, as I as I put in that piece earlier in the week, you've then got Matt Crocker saying, well, his job in the whole kind of club is to look at the pathway. And that's where Southampton have a problem. If they go and buy a number six it, it or get one on loan, it could create so many problems. It You're then saying to Finnegan, Ryan Finnegan, who you speak to people within the club, they do generally rave about him. They think of all the academy players kind of coming through at the moment. He's the one that stands out the most. So if you then go and buy one, what are you saying to him about his chances? That's why Livermento's left Chelsea, why Small's left Everton, because they've not seen, you know, Chelsea go out and spend fifty million pound on a right back if they need a new one. I know they've got Reese James and he's from the academy, but that's not the point I'm making. 
And then if you go and get another one and they're better than Diallo, what, what, what chance does that give him? It's, it's a really kind of weird, nuanced position they're in at the moment with that number six. But Southampton love doing deadline day deals recently, don't they? So I imagine it will be like one we hope will be quiet, but it will end up being really busy. I think, who have they signed on deadline day recently? Walcott, wasn't it? It was Walcott? Yeah. Ings. Ings. Was Walker-Peters? Well, I don't think he was deadline day, but he was late on, wasn't he, Walker-Peters? But but the Walker-Peters deal was basically done yes. three months previous. Yeah, but I feel like there's more. Minamino, obviously the most recent one, Minamino. There Kevin are. Danzo. Kevin Danzo. <laughs> so, you know, they've, they've got history of doing deadline day deals and they have still got that loan option. So yes, there's one left, isn't there? There's one, one left, one, yeah. One loan option left, and I just think, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I just can't see a world where they don't use it. But then, maybe I'm living in a different world today. Speaking, so. speaking of loans, I see uh, Brandon Williams had a stellar debut. Oh, he was for awful. Norwich. Yeah, he was awful. I so think we dodged uh, a bullet there, didn't we? Yeah, solid, solid bullet dodged. <laughs> well, let's hope it's a busy-ish day um, on Tuesday. We mentioned the the strength in depth, and I think that was probably highlighted really well by the Carabao Cup game. Um, you were there, Steve. Um, yeah. Nine changes from the team that drew with United, but it looked like they all had a, a point to prove rather than proving why they weren't in the first team. Yeah, and I mean, I was surprised it was only nine, um, if I'm honest. I've... I've I didn't expect Stevens or War Prowse to play, but no, I mean it was it was an excellent performance. I think basically uh, Newport had like the first two minutes of trying to lump the ball into our box and trying to unsettle us, but after that it was plain, pretty much plain sailing. To be honest, they be- they barely laid a glove on us, and I mean it could have been, it could maybe should have been double figures. That's how that's how ridiculously one sided it was, and I think that's actually the key issue with the League Cup now is that you've got League Two sides like Newport who make six changes to their first team uh, from the league game at the weekend to play against Premier League opposition. So if the League Two team aren't putting their full strength side out, kind of what's the point? If the lower league first team is is playing and they're playing against the Premier League reserve side, then yeah, okay, then there's a strong chance for an upset because of the whole motivation factor and, and all this. But when you put the League 2 reserve side out, there's such a gulf. And it was, to be honest, it was kind of embarrassing. It was, it was almost like um, seeing a Premier League side play against like your local Wessex League team. They were, they were that bad and that disorganised that it was just... Other than other than uh, seeing good performances from fringe players, and then and as a result, giving us more options going forward, it was kind of a bit of a waste of time for everybody. And your favourite Newport player played by the looks of it, Glenn? Not Priestley Farquharson. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, a, what a brilliant name! He obviously didn't do very well because he was centre back. Um, he had he, a, had a, he had a shocker yesterday as well. Yeah, um, they were three 0 down at, at Salford inside twenty five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I um, I mentioned this on Twitter as well. I've got a mate who supports Newport um, from the other side of the world. He's in Auckland, in New Zealand. I was I spoke to him this morning, and um, I, I was quite sympathetic. But um, he he put a big a big emphasis on the on the fact that they'd relayed the pitch. He said because normally in January February when the FA Cup comes around, that not only do Newport County play on that pitch, but there's also two rugby teams that play on it as well. And so by January February, the pitch is usually an absolute mess, which is why, which is which certainly helps them when they're playing Premier League opposition in the. Um, in the FA Cup, but the fact that they laid out a nice new pitch for us—I mean, I don't know, Steve. Steve will know how well the pitch played, but it—it uh, it seemed to play sort of perfectly okay. And that yeah, played into yeah, it was, um, it, yeah. was very, it was very green. 
um, yeah. which yeah is very unlike Newport's ground. And, and also, we might mention that that they they actually don't have that many professionals signed on. So this feeds into Steve's point that once they dip below their first sort of like eleven, that, that there's not a lot there. So it was you know youngsters who were not um, you know probably probably not up to it, and and as Steve said, probably non-league level, and and that's why. That's why you get the results that um, that you get in the in the League Cup second round these days. Well, it's Sheffield United in the third round, and of course we won all four of our meetings with them when they were in the Premier League over the last two years. So um, plenty to be positive with there, I think. We've got a question from Phil Cook, who's one of our Matt Letizier patrons, and uh, Phil says. Any change of thought on our best starting eleven now that we're a couple of weeks in? This is something we debated uh, back at the start of the season. First part of that question, is Maka the right choice in goal? Um, Dan, you broke the news this week about his new contract, but I don't think we've seen anything from the club yet. So Ralph's almost answered that question for us, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know when the, the, the club can decide to announce it whenever they want, I suppose. But yeah, the, he's, I, I know he signed a three-year contract and... It was the same with Jack Stevens when we, we did the story there that he'd signed a, a new four-year contract. They've still not announced that, have they? No, but if you look at the FA intermediary list, you've got all the transactions for whatever year it'll be and you'll see Jack Stevens' new contract, but the club just haven't announced it. So, yeah, I, I don't know on that one. No, yeah, so yeah, he signed a three-year contract. The club haven't announced it. It's up to them when they decide to do it. And yeah, Ralph said, didn't he, that in the week before, you know, one's staying, one's going and we'd like to sign a new one next summer. So... Yeah, he basically said it and I filled in the blanks for everyone else. Is that the right choice, Glenn? Sticking with uh, Alex McCarthy? I mean, I thought Fraser should be in goal at the start of the season. Um, I still think he's the better goalkeeper, probably. However, it's not much in it. And obviously people who see them both every day know better than I do. So I'm I'm happy to go with the decision, to be honest. I'm certain it's, it's certainly not anything that I'm going to get irate about. Yeah, M- McCarthy's, McCarthy's okay. I'm surprised that they've given him a three-year contract, to be honest. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if they'd moved them both on at the end of the season. But no, yeah, M- M- McCarthy's okay. He, he's, to, for me, he's slowly rebuilding his confidence after the 9-0 against United last year because that seemed to sh- absolutely shoot him to bits. Um, he was always very reliable, very calm before that, and and that seemed to um, put a big sizable dent in that, as you would ex- as you would expect. But he can certainly get back to the level he showed before that. So I, I'm I'm happy enough with him in goal. But I I do hope that if he you know if he does drop a few clangers or or dips in confidence again, you know Ralph has got the um has got it about him to to put Fraser in goal if if that's what's needed because that's what's that's what's driving improvements in other areas of the team at the moment. And there were a couple of big saves yesterday, Steve. Um, he, he certainly played his part in earning the point. Yeah, there were. I mean, I, th- I think the the one from Wilson's header at the end of the first half. If that had gone in, I suspect that might have been ruled out for offside. But you've still got to you've still got to make the save, and he and he did well to get it away from danger as well. Because I've certainly seen a lot of keepers in that situation just parry it straight back um, into the danger area. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think. With the two keepers, I think McCarthy's kind of standard level is um, there's there's very little variance between his really good games and his really bad games. Um, I think the the kind of the level between those is is pretty narrow. Whereas Forster, his his good games are at a much higher level, um, but his bad games are much much worse. Um, so I guess from that from that sense, I guess it kind of makes sense to stick with McCarthy because you're you're kind of almost guaranteeing a, a slightly better base um, base level of performance. 
The other part of uh, Phil's question is, who are the best two number 10s? So um, I think <laughs> let's just go. Who would you start? Who are the two for you, Dan? If you're picking the team against West Ham, who are your, your number 10s? I'd go. I want to see Livermento play in front of Kyle Walker-Peters um, to see what if they could do any damage down the right. So I would go Livermento and if fit, Stuart Armstrong. Yes, we've got Stuart Armstrong to come back in as well, haven't we? Glenn, who are you picking? Um, Gineppo and... Uh... Uh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see the, the team the same way that Dan's just said, but based on merit at the moment, you can't, you couldn't complain if Elianusi should keep his place, but, you know, based on what he did last week. And Nathan Redmond's got to be a, a, a you know, a strong contender to start on the left-hand side after setting up two goals um, yesterday. I can't believe I'm saying that. No, I can't I'll, believe you're saying that But I've just said it. I mean, you know... Hella's officially frozen over. Yeah, it has. But, it, you know, the, it's supposed to be a merit-based system. You get in the team based on your performances and what you do. Now, there have been plenty of times in the past when Nathan Redmond has played where I thought he did not deserve to play. And this, that's what Steve was saying earlier on about, you know, he was in the team last year, regardless of what he did. And to be honest, he didn't do very much. He's done well in this game, whether it's a, you know, one swallow, don't make a summer sort of thing. But um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against him starting. Stuart Armstrong, definitely, for me, however, should be starting if he's fit. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. He's pulled out of the Scotland team for the um, for the international break, so hopefully he's uh, he's a lot uh, closer to fitness, even if he's not hundred percent when uh, when we come back. Who are you picking, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I, I would if if fit Armstrong's in there, particularly given particularly against West Ham, where I think we need a lot more strength in the in the centre midfield. Uh, West Ham don't play particularly wide these days. That it's a lot of balls into the channel for for Antonio. Who um, I mean, the prospect of him in that in his current form is absolutely terrifying already. <laughs> two two weeks before the game, and other than that, yeah, I I, I think we need. I, I still think we need a bit of pace. Um, so I I would probably have Redmond in there. I think, um, which is a bit harsh on El Yanusi given his performances in the last um, last week or so, but. Um, it's a horses for courses selection. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd go with those two. Brilliant. Well, I hope that answers your question, Phil. Um, thank you. Great one. Uh, there are other questions which we will tackle um, in future pods. Uh, thanks to Phil, by the way, who is a Matt Letizia tier uh, patron. So is Ed Busy and also Colt Baker. Nick Reed is our Francis Benali tier. And we must say welcome to one of our newest patrons, who is Jill Roger, who has joined the Bobby Stokes tier last week. That's about it for episode 166. Uh, my thanks as always to Steve, to Glenn and to Dan. Good luck for Tuesday in the transfer window, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> uh, to find out more about becoming a TSP patron, check out the website where you can become a Bobby Stokes tier member for just £5. And we're now on YouTube, but don't worry, you don't have to look at us. Uh, you can find all the recent episodes of the Total Saints podcast on our YouTube channel. Uh, plus, we'll have exclusive live streams and clips coming up throughout the season. So make sure you subscribe to our channel to be the first to see those videos. Don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we love a rating and a review. On the socials, we're at Total Saints Pod. That's on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always drop us an email via the website. Thank you for listening and have a great week.
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.